1: So one of the local um, one of the local beat writers is now saying that Tommy Reese to Alabama is official, um, and that Notre Dame players have been informed. So that is official. So it's kind of what we expected, Ryan. But it is now official that that is happening. That he is taking that job. Okay. So we can now talk about it in a little bit different detail now moving forward. So we um, So yeah. So we'll we'll bring up the next question. So just want people to. Um, to kind of have that, that that is, that is official. I'm going to reach out to my sources here um, and make it official. So, but uh, it, I mean, the people that are reporting it, it's um, legit. Yeah, so promising. it's official. Yep. Yeah. So here here we go. Brian, here's an interesting one that I want you to get to first and then I'm yep. going to give my opinion on it. This is from Ken Woodard. If we need a new OC, what about Utah OC Andy Ludwig He has a balanced run pass with a physical run game. Seems like a good fit.
2: I I think, Ken, I I did a lot of research uh, actually on Andy Ludwig last night because I think that a lot of what you're saying I agree 100% with. He's a very versatile offensive coordinator in the sense that He's had pretty good tight ends over the last couple of years. He's had Dalton Kincaid and then uh, the Brent Keith kid, who's a pretty solid football player that was hurt, unfortunately, this year. So he's played a lot of 12 personnel. He's been able to kind of do a lot of 11 personnel stuff as well and been pretty versatile with it. And I think the things that I like about Andy Ludwig is that, yes, he has a big emphasis on running the football. Like we've always seen that from him over the last few years with the Tavian Thomas's of the world, right? As far as the big power-based running scheme. And I do think there's some multiplicity to the running scheme for for Utah as well. Like I don't think it's just a power-based system where you're just a gap scheme. Like I think he does have some zone implements in there. I think I've seen – I've seen definitely seen some outside zone for the system as well. So I think there's some multiplicity to how he uses the offensive scheme. I think he likes to get tight ends involved, which I like, but he doesn't. He isn't so overly dependent on tight ends that you're just a 12 personnel and that's all you're going to do, right? And Andy Ludwig is also a quarterback guy, and he's done a pretty good job with developing those quarterbacks. I would argue that Cameron Rising is not an incredibly talented quarterback, but he's gotten a lot out of him after out of the last two years because I think that he is a good quarterback coach and a really good offensive mind. So Andy Ludwig is a guy that I would definitely like, I would definitely entertain. There's no doubt. Like I probably would even make the phone call personally. Again, not saying that Marcus Freeman necessarily will, but he's a guy that I have seen his name out there before. I've been impressed with what he's done. I think he's gotten a lot out of the Utah staff in general, Uh, Utah roster in general, I should say, because I don't think it's a crazy talented roster. But they've been a good program. They've been highly productive for what they've had from a talent perspective. And I think Andy Lobo brings a lot to the table. I do.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data I like this higher
1: Ryan. Cause one, one thing I like to look at with coaches and it's not a direct reflection of them. Yep. You know, it, it's, it's or I shouldn't say direct reflection. It's not an end all be all because it, it doesn't tell the entire story. Yep. But I kind of looking at look like looking at, okay, what did, what were they before you got there? And, and Utah before he got there was a team that was really about you know defense and running the ball. And, and, and they were good. I mean, they, you know, you look at the three years before he got hired, they were 29.8 points per game. They were 29.5 points per game, 28.1 points per game. They were 4.30 offense, 4.13.4, 3.95.8. And then his four years there, they went to 4.29, 4.09, 431.5, and a half and then four sixty-six point nine this year in in total offense. And then from points, they immediately jumped into thirty two point three his first year, thirty point two during the COVID year, thirty-six point one by year three, and thirty-eight point six by year four. And with all due respect, Cameron Rising's just an okay player. Exactly. And, yeah, and he's got, haven't got a, a lot a, out of it. Right. Yep. They, they 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 haven't had a lot of high level NFL players that they've been producing. They haven't put a bunch of offensive linemen out, a bunch of receivers and a bunch of running backs out. They're just a really well-coached team that shows very good balance. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, to me that matters. You know, the proof is in the pudding. And the fact is they've won the, the PAC-12 championship each of the last two years and their defense has been good, but it hasn't been great. It hasn't been as good as some of their past defenses. That's for darn sure. So that impresses me, Ryan. It, it really does. I mean, I, I really like coaches that are balanced. And this year – They pass for 3,489 yards. They rush for 3,047 yards with a a quarterback that's good. You know, he passed for 3,000 yards this year, 26 touchdowns, eight picks, 64.7% completion rate, which is solid. You know, last year was split up. They didn't throw it as well last year because, you know, it was rising first year. And again, he's just an okay player. Running game was not as good this year as it was last year from, from the standpoint of the consistency because of the health. know Tavion Thomas was banged up, you know, Jackson was dinged up a little bit. And and so then this year, you know, you you lost TJ Pledger off last year's team. And then you come out this year with all of that and you still run for about the same number of yards, two seventeen point six. Last year's two seventeen point two. You know, but this year they were five point four per carry. Last year they were five point six. So it wasn't quite as effective, but the numbers were still good because they protected it better, where they threw the ball a little bit better and they altered how they threw the football. So You know, in in some of those regards, and these are things just me off watching him. I haven't really broken the film down yet, Ryan, to the degree where I could have a, a say as to why. But one thing I noticed about Utah in this last two years that you can say for certain is take the scheme part out of it. They had a very limited quarterback, very smart, but limited quarterback. But they were physical and they were balanced and they were well coached. You could see that, Ryan. Now I got to break the scheme down to see if it fits. But here's what I do also know: he's an old school pro style guy. He's coached for Jeff Tedford. Yep. He's a pro style guy, so there would be a tr- it would be a a smooth scheme transition, in my opinion, for the most part into that. Yep. But yeah, he's done a good job. And look, he kicked USC's butt twice this year, <laughs> and they kicked Oregon's butt twice last
2: year, and yep. that says something to me. And he's been a part of that, in my opinion. I-, I think the key thing that you hit on, too, Brian, is that he's been really successful with pretty average talent, in my opinion, right? I mean, like, Don Kincaid's a good football player, for sure. He'll play in the NFL. But, I mean, Cameron Rising uh, is not a guy that's going to be drafted highly next year. He's not. I mean, wide receiver-wise, they don't really have a guy that stands out. Like, number 17, I forget his name. He's a good little player. Offensive line-wise, they've had guys like Nick Ford, who are borderline NFL players, right? Braden Daniels at offensive tackle. It's not an incredibly talented group. But it is incredibly well coached, and it's. I think that the biggest thing for me is that they're a versatile team. You know, like they can run a lot of twelve personnel, they can run a lot of eleven personnel, they can be multiple with how they attack things. So, I again, Andy Lubin would be a guy that I would have some interest in personally. I don't know if Notre Dame will, but I would have interest. I could say that.
1: He's another guy that's definitely on my list. There's no yep. doubt about it. Uh, Rob Didoff says, I be crew. I wanted to change up all the Tommy talk for a second. Brian and I grew up in the 80s. What was your favorite part of the 80s? Mine was riding my bike with friends, less worries, and Indy Natty. Man, I'll tell you what, uh, best part of the 80s, I mean, there's so much. The music was great. Um, uh, I'll leave politics out of it. Uh, I was a Broncos, Notre Dame, and Boston Celtics fan, and the 80s were pretty good. <laughs> Broncos played in three Super Bowls. Celtics won three titles, played in several other finals. Notre Dame won a title. It was the golden era of the Brian Driscoll fandom. uh, As far as sports, the Reds were good. They won their World Series in 90. So it was like right after the 80s, but they were still good. Uh, You had those eras. So yeah, I mean, sports was great during the 80s for me, man. But it was a simpler time. You know, I mean, that that that's a big part of it. You know, I mean, you, you played outside. You only had a limited number of channels. You know, the Nintendo was was I mean, I remember growing up playing Nintendo, but just playing sports and just being outside all the time, riding your bike everywhere. You know, who's who's uh who's net are we hooping up on today? You know, uh, just all those things were were a great time. You know, just I yeah. feel like the world was so simpler because I was young and the world's always simpler when you're young. And I just think sometimes the technology is so great in some ways. I mean, like right now. But in other ways, you just kind of wish you could turn it off and not feel like you were going to be screwed if you turn Depend- your phone off for an hour.
2: upon it, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And, yeah.
1: And so I miss some of that. I do. I, I'm not going to lie. I miss some of that. I, I, I miss the days where there weren't as many options on things. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. But uh, yeah, I mean, those are some of the things that about the 80s that I miss. Do you miss uh, the,
2: your, your did you have a pager in the eighties too? No, man, that's people? pagers weren't around
1: just yet. That's that's more of when I in the nineties when I was in high school. So I definitely had a pager in high school, and it was uh, there was only a few people that were allowed to have that number. It was Macy something nice. that I had that I wore to look cool, but it was really so my mom could get a hold of me when she needed to get a hold of me. That was the reason why I had a pager. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like so, your mom, and, hey, hold on, y'all. I got to go use this phone. I got to hit this dude back. Hey, mom. <laughs> hey, mom. <laughs>
2: that's funny hey mom
1: (laughs) (laughs) no doubt uh quinn quinn kibler says driscoll rank your top five dew flavors me for code meat for me code red is king also the thrashed apple and pitch black are good i've had one flavor two flavors of mountain dews i've tried i've tried normal mountain dew and diet mountain dew my diet mountain dew tastes terrible so really I'm a traditionalist, but again, it, I love Mountain Dew, but it's because of the sweetness. It's not so much that I'm like a Mountain Dew junkie where I've got to try all the different flavors. I'm also not a very experimental person when it comes to food. If I got something I like, there's no need to try something new. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like why go to try the code red or whatever when I love the original. Uh, so, and I'm also trying to not talk about Mountain Dew as much anymore. Cause whenever I talk about it, I want it. And I'm trying to not drink it right now. So here's an interesting one, Ryan. From Robert McReynolds. What do you think about pulling someone from the Kyle Shanahan tree if Reese goes to Alabama?
2: I mean, I, I love that system, but I think that there's been sporadic success with it, though. I'll say that. I think that goes for the Sean McVay tree, too, right? There's been some hits. Like I think Mike McDaniel's a really good offensive guy in, in at the Miami Dolphins, for instance, right? But I don't think uh Matt LaFleur. It's Matt Lafleur that was in the Jets, right? He's not Michael Lafleur. It's Matt, LaFleur, yes, right, yeah. Yes. So Matt Lafleur with the Jets did not do a good job, right? Michael Lafleur was pretty good, you know. It's, no, no, it's the other way around. Him, Matt Lafleur probably.
1: is the guy that's now with the Packers.
2: Okay, so then Michael Lafleur, yeah, right? He was with the Jets and he just got let go. Yeah. So the the Jets version of Lafleur not too great, right? And it, but there's so there's some good, there's some bad. I like the un, I like the opinion of. Let's go after that system, potentially. Like, I would think about it because I think that that system is very versatile. I think it's a system that, you know, you can create a lot of mismatches. You can get in space a little bit. And I think Notre Dame has needed to do that a little bit more over the last couple years, right? So, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. It's just who's the guy, right? Like, I care more about the person than the fact that he came from the tree. I need to talk to him, you know what I mean? I think the tree matters to me from the
1: standpoint of you came from here. Let's talk. Right. And and that's what you're saying, right? Like, so, but I think that's where, where I would say, yes, Ryan, you and I are agreement. Like the tree would fit really well at Notre Dame. But as we've seen with a lot of other times, some guys from a tree work well, put it like this, Ryan, I'll ask you this. Okay. Who is the better coach Bill Belichick or Mike Holmgren? Oh, Belichick, yeah. Okay, who's had the better success producing NFL coaches? Mike Holmgren, Mike, Mike
2: Holmgren. or b- Bingo, yeah.
1: right? So, so, so well, that, that
2: one staff was ridiculous, all the Packers, man, like, with was John Gruden, like, Steve Mariucci, Andy Reid. It was, like, it was yes. wild. Yeah, yes. it was
1: wild. When you had Fritz Schirmer was the D coordinator. He was never a head coach guy, but he was a, considered a great defensive coordinator back in the day. So, yeah, I mean, that was a great, great staff that he had back then. You know, Marty Morningwig, I think, was on that was on his was worked for him for a while yeah. too. So, I mean, now Marty Morningwig wasn't as successful as those other guys, but yeah, they had some very good Sherm Lewis was his offensive coordinator. Uh, so I mean, he, yeah, he had some very, very good coaches. Uh, Dick Giron was his defensive backs coach.
2: Oh, Dick Giron Good one.
1: Yeah. I haven't heard his yeah. name in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Ooh. I mean, you know, he just, he just, he had some really, really good staffs. He had some really good staffs back then. So, You know, yeah. I mean, those those are things you look at and you say, "Boy, this this guy had a much better success record producing those types of of coaches." And 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 where Bill Belichick, the tree was not as successful as the one that uh, Mike Holmgren had uh, with the Packers. And and uh, I don't know if his if it was the same when he was with the Seahawks. I don't know if there was the same success or not, Ryan. That I'd have to go back.
2: I don't even remember who's on there. To be honest, I don't
1: remember. I'd have to go back and look at some of those teams but uh, what years was he with Seattle started in what 99 so he, yeah so 99 yeah. was his first year there so yeah I mean I'd have to go back and look at some of those teams but um he had some success there but not quite the
2: level of success that he had obviously with the Packers because they got to a Super Bowl but didn't win one right not 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 to move from the conversation Brian because I could do this all day because that establishes ridiculous can I just say I, I cuz I see I saw someone in the in the chat talking about um you know they're they're saying that the whole 2024 class is now gone without tommy i would just like to say you should go sign up boards at irishbreakdown.com and you could see that there's a little bit of yeah. an intel conversation about well that. it's all out there who who said that i'm curious who a said couple that. a couple different players people okay. have said that uh, someone Let said me. cjd commits now C- C-J 25 St- you tried
1: to do this crap yesterday man and just just stop okay just stop let's be grown-ups okay That's absurd. This happens every time a coach says, oh, they're going to lose all these other guys, blah, 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 blah. and It never happens. And as Ryan said, we already have an Intel piece about this yesterday. So just chill out, okay? As as long
2: as Notre Dame does – Gets the right offensive the yeah.
1: coordinator, there should be no. If they hired about me that. as their offensive coordinator, yeah, they're going to lose some recruits. They hired <laughs> right. some dude that works for some. You know, if they go hire some <sighs> high school coach, yeah, they're going to lose some recruits. If they hire a good offensive coordinator, the kids are all going to stay. They'll be fine. Yeah, and and so we don't we don't need to do that. Oh, CJ Carr is going to decommit now. Just freaking stop. Right. Okay, just stop. If he if he decommits some point in time, then we'll address that. Okay, sure. but let's just not be there. Let's just not play that game. Let's let's let's. Yeah, just let's be better than that, okay? Let's be better than that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Here's one for you, Ryan. I really would like to get your opinion on this. Sure. Please compare, just from Domer Grizz, please compare and contrast the games of Michael Mayer, Kyle Rudolph, and Tyler Eifert. Thank you.
2: I I mean, they're completely different football players. I mean, so Domer Grizz, like, okay, so I'd rather just paint the picture of each player, and then we can talk about some of the similarities, I guess, kind of after that. So Michael Mayer is a big, physically imposing dude who has surprising flexibility as a route runner, in my opinion. Like there's some routes that he breaks off that are a little bit surprising, but he's incredibly competitive in the air, very competitive, strong hands. He's had some instances of just some concentration drops because he's, you know, just kind of starting to, his momentum upfield and everything. But I mean, the physicality that the dude plays with and the improvement in the run game, I thought are substantial and he's a very good football player. Kyle Rudolph is a guy that I don't think we ever saw the, all the upside that he could have had at Notre Dame with with obviously the injury his final year. But Kyle Rudolph is just a massive dude. Incredible catch radius. He can win in the air. Catch point dude. Not a great blocker, but he has some effort in that department, at least at Notre Dame. That's what I saw. Tyler Eifert is very different right like he's a guy that you can just throw into the boundary you can work outside the numbers he can you know he's kind of a more, more of a flexible dude you know wins in the air i think all three of those guys the similarity is that they can win in the air and they have really good ball skills to make plays in a variety of ways but i think that you just employ them a whole lot differently in my opinion what is your preference ryan was uh, my style preference? So the my yeah, preference. Like if, as you, far if you as were running player? the offense that you were, you wanted to run.
1: Yes. Your head coach, you've hired a coordinator, to run the offense the way that you would want to run it. Which of those guys would you prefer? For me, honestly, it'd be Tyler Eifert. I, I was going to say think Michael Mayer is the better player overall, sure. all around player. But I think Tyler Eifert is the guy that I think is is the better fit for what I would want to do with the tight end. Right.
2: Yeah, uh, my mind's between Eifert and Mayer actually, because I, I think that you can get a little bit more all the rounds for Mayer, obviously a little more upside as a, as a blocker as long as he's improving. But I would say for me, like I'm, I'm a big 12 personnel guy. I really do like two tight end sets. So in that regard, I think that I can get a lot out of the position as far as getting a player that can play in line and then also moving Tyler Eifert around a ton, right? So I think I would also lean Eifert, but I don't think Mayer is a wrong answer, obviously, because he can do a lot of different things and you can supplement production differently.
1: Here's another one for you, Ryan, from Bill Walsh. What yeah. offensive line player currently in Notre Dame, so not Jagasol, yeah, that's not
2: named Blake Fisher or Joe Alt, is most likely to be drafted someday? Most likely to get drafted someday. I, I, I mean, I think the first person that comes to mind, Bill, is, is Billy Shrouth. I think that he's a, a pretty easy one because the way – I mean, me and Brian talked about him a ton yesterday. He's a very interesting combination of size, physicality, and athleticism, right? I think when you look at like Zeke Karell would be someone that probably would be like, oh, maybe Zeke Karell get drafted. It. It's not impossible, but what I would say about Zeke Karell is that Zeke Karell isn't the biggest guy of all time, right? So there's going to be some interval evaluators that are going to look at Zeke and say, is he a little smaller? Maybe a little scheme specific. Like you're going to use those types of terminologies with a guy like Zeke Karell. Billy Shropf, I don't think he's really a I don't think he's a scheme dependent football player. Like I could see him growing and being that six, 310 plus pound offensive guard. That could be in a power-based system. Could be in a zone-based system. and can do a little bit of everything, right? So I think he's a guy that could get drafted if he develops properly. If Emil Wagner could put on enough weight and hold it. I mean, that kid's a kid's a high draft pick. Most likely if he, you get the most out of him because he's incredibly talented. So First two guys off my head were were those I think Billy Shrout and uh, yeah I think I think Billy Shroff and Emil Wagner definitely have that type of upside but I think Billy's the cleanest one cuz you're like he can already hold the weight right he can already hold the weight he's really athletic Emil's a little bit of a projection just cuz you just don't know how much weight he's going to be able to carry on his frame
1: Sorry, I couldn't get back no. to here. I'm trying to publish that story and get it <laughs> oh, all sorry. out and all that kind of stuff. So, no, no, you're good. Uh, you're here's good. one from Sean Green. If you could choose, yes. oh, if you can only choose one road game on the 23 schedule to go to, which game would you choose? That's easy. It's Clemson for me.
2: Yes. For me. Oh, I, I've never seen the the running down the hill and all that type yeah, of stuff, cool. right? Like, that's it's pretty, that's pretty cool. wild, man. And the, it, yeah. in my limited
1: experience with Clemson fans, they were pretty cool. Like, yeah, yeah I can they've see been that. pretty cool. Yeah. Like in person, they were very friendly and fun. I unfortunately we didn't get a chance to, to meet them in the 2020 regular season game, but I ran into a bunch of them at the ACC title game. And then of course in the 2015 game, when I was down at Clemson for that game, really, they're a lot like Georgia fans. Like when they talk trash, it's like in good fun. It's not yeah. vulgar. It's not, it's not like going to a house state game, you know, where their fans are just like just the worst it, yeah. it's or Michigan fans. It's, it's, it's fun. It's like, Oh, you know, you guys, you know, it's all in good fun and, and I enjoyed it there and man, they, they, the smells on ca- campus at Clemson in Georgia when I went down there, even even though the Clemson game was rainy, you could, there were still people grilling and cooking. It's wild, and you're like, man, this is I
2: couldn't imagine what's like on like a sunny day. Right? So,
1: yeah,
2: that was great. But that, that's definitely one of the top couple of places I want to visit. I really do because I'll also say I I hmm. always go on this Clemson radio station. It's one that I like frequent, and there's some there's some fan bases, Brian, where like you go on. And they disagree with the take that you say, and they just get really mean. Right. Like yes. They get just like so disrespectful. Yes. I've never had that experience with the Clemson radio station. They're all very like, yeah. and even the guy that covers them is always just like, I really respect Notre Dame. Like, I think yeah. that they are going in a great direction. I, I really do think because Clemson hasn't always been a blue blood, right? Like, they've had the build right. up and they've been that team that like understands lack of yeah. success, they understand building. So I think that there's some mutual right. respect in that regard.
1: Yeah. And, and I think the fact that Notre Dame has had some success against Clemson, I mean, yeah. look, Clemson, Notre Dame has beat Clemson. What is it? Two times. Two the and, and, and then, you know, so what are they? They're Notre Dame's They like two and two, no, two and three against each other. Right. Yeah, uh, Notre Dame's won two. Clemson's won three. Well, two of those games weren't competitive, but the other three were. I mean, even the game Notre Dame lost in 2015, that was a game that Notre Dame had a, had a chance to tie at the very end of the game. Yeah. So I think there's that too. I, I think that's partly why Alabama, why Georgia Georgia fans respect Notre Dame a lot more than Alabama fans. Part yeah. of it's because Alabama fans don't respect anybody, some of them. But the other part is, well, Notre Dame's given Georgia a game both times they've played. So there's, you know, in Alabama, they've blown Notre Dame out
2: both of the two times they've played. So that's gonna factor into it as well. Yeah. Ryan, it, That's it, 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 the, so. that's the mutual, that's the mutual respect conversation, right? It's like you were the SEC team. You're Notre Dame that hasn't been relevant and blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. And then you went toe to toe with us and you punched us in the mouth, right? And you right. were in the game at the end. So I think that's the mutual respect. Yeah. I agree.
1: Yep. Here's an interesting one. Here's a recruiting question from Salty Virginia Peanuts. If Caleb Brewer commits to in place tackle at Notre Dame, what with his tight end skills would could Notre Dame use things like tackle eligible plays? Also please drool a bit on his potential. So the quick answer to that first one, right, is yeah absolutely
2: I mean, in, the catches, zone, right?
1: in the red zone right he legit catches the football right so did yes. joe walt yes i it, you know may never come to that situation but i mean yeah i could see it but uh ryan i know you are you and i are both extremely high on caleb brewer and i don't care what his ranking say that's a yep. kid that's got a lot of talent like ryan sent me his film his highlights first time he watched and he was like dude you've got to watch this this is just <laughs> stupid you know, and so I was like, man. "Okay, this is not It's like it was it was like ten thirty at night, and you're usually in bed by then, too. So I was yeah. like, "Okay, this
2: guy's pretty fired up by this guy."
1: So I, I don't know if you've
2: noticed lately, though. I've been up a little bit later. Been up a little. Yes, bit you had. I feel bad for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, a little
2: no, but you. it's uh. Now, but, I mean, Salty, I think the first thing I said to Brian about Caleb Brewer was this highlight tape is silly. Like, it's silly. Yeah. Like, why yeah. is this happening right here, right? The first play at 6'5", 300 pounds, because he was legit like 295 last year. He obviously had to cut weight to make, you know, the 285 for wrestling this season – but he was a legit 295 getting a tight end screen on the first play of the game and going for like 40 yards. It's just like, why is this a thing right now? Like, why is this a possible – and he plays that while missing. So, like, he's – you know, he's playing with uh, – I mean, what was the J- – Javen Williams was the kid that came out of there yeah. that's going to Penn State, right? I mean, they Who play some I good love, football teams. by the way. Yeah, very talented kid. Yeah, that's, that's a kid, dude. Very, dude. Yes. But Caleb Brewer, Salty is – I mean, because you say drool about his potential, but it's hard not to, man. Like, honestly, he is – 6'5", 300 pounds, and can move. I look forward to seeing what his arm length is because I know there's going to be a conversation of, is he a tackle, is he a guard? And that's usually kind of the determiner for most opportunities, but he's got such good foot quickness. I'm not really worried about it. Like I think he's going to play tackle potentially on the college level. If not, he could be a dang good guard, right? I mean, there's just that type of upside. But he's just a really, really talented football player. Brian mentioned... You know, obviously, Joe Walt was a tight end background. Mike McGlinchey was another guy with a tight end background. Those guys tend to usually work out. Those guys that have the frames to put on that weight that are for tight ends. You know, like, I just love that foot quickness, man. Caleb Brewer is a very talented football player. And I would say this, year one, if you don't know if he's going to be more than a four-year player, let's say, if Caleb's that good, I mean, down here at the goal line, you want to put an extra tackle in the game and get Caleb Brewer on the field, like, heck yeah baby let's do it i'm, I'm all for it
1: Brian, let's go to another one here so yep. um christopher crosby this this is a this is i want to bring this up from mike Sullivan because this is a really interesting dynamic okay so this is what said before this whole thing broke he says if and and i say if Tom Reese goes to bama that has now happened and has a bad year it could be tough to rebound from if he has a bad year at notre dame people will blame the players and the point being at Alabama, they'll blame the coaches. And that is a very interesting dynamic. And it's, I mean, every fan base will blame both sides to a degree, but it has been weird watching Notre Dame fans the last seven or eight years where most of the time when things go wrong, it's almost always the players get blamed and it's never the coaches. Cause I think that's the culture Brian Kelly created. It's never my fault and therefore can never be one of my assistant coaches fault because if it's their fault, then ultimately it's my fault but if the players aren't good enough that's a different conversation. And so you see all these excuses well I'm good enough players I can't recruit blah 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 blah. blah. Right? And Alabama's it, no. It, it, like players will get blamed, but you're going to get blamed even harder cuz you make the most money. And even right. in the NIL world, if the deal that I was told he's going to get is accurate, and again, he's not leaving for the money, but he's still going to get a big pay raise. Uh, he most of the players won't be making more money than him. <laughs> yes. So, um it's gonna be a if he thinks Notre
2: Dame fans were were not were pretty rabid after a loss. You know. Mm. Oof, yes. Especially if that loss is to like an Auburn or something yeah. like that, right? Like yeah. they, yes, yeah. yes. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It, it's gonna be interesting, man. I mean, I wish Coach Reese success, right? Like I hope he does a good job, but it's gonna to get tough if things aren't perfect, right? I mean, that's the that's because that's the expectation, Alabama. Right? The expectation is to score forty plus points a game and win national championships. And if he doesn't, yeah. and if they don't, it's going to be a lot of the blame. There's no doubt.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Let's get to some more here. We got um, Christopher Crosby says, uh, "I live in I live about twenty minutes from Springfield, Ohio. I've seen Aaron Scott. He's as advertised. Chances Mike Mickens can pull him out of Ohio. They're not great at no. this point in time. Notre Dame likes him. They're recruiting him hard." But it's one of those things where it's going to be a tough pull. It's right. going to be a really tough pull for, yep. um, for me. It uh, is. Yeah. But he likes Notre Dame a lot, and and they're trying. and and uh, But I just think getting him out of Ohio is going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I mean, I think Ohio State's kind of the team to beat for him right now. and Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, that's going to be the case. That's going it to is. be the case. All right, let's get to this next one here. So Indy Irish 25, this is a name we heard a lot. Is Brian Hartline ready if Tommy touched touched touchdown, Tommy hits Alabama. Obviously, he's heading to Alabama now. Look, Brian Hartline, for me, is not a guy that I'd go after. I know know that some are going to say that's silly, but, like, number one, he's been a coach. If you didn't think Tommy Reese was ready to be the offensive coordinator in 2019 or 20, what makes you think Brian Hartline's ready to be the offensive coordinator now? Right. Because he won't have a Ryan Day to help him at Ohio State the way he, the way that he does now. So, look, he's been a great recruiter. There's no questioning his receiver coaching skills. But for me, Ryan, I mean, cause, and, and that's evidenced by how well his receivers do the minute they get to the NFL. I mean, they're, they're, they're they, they, Ohio State's as good as any team in the country. I would say better at their receivers getting the NFL and being ready to play right now at the present moment right now, the track record's not super long because he hasn't been there very long, but the Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave were far more technically ready to play as rookies than Jerry Judy was, or Henry Ruggs and, was, or Jalen Waddle
2: was in my opinion. They, bo- they both just had a thousand yards as rookies too. Right. So I, they, I know there's they, the they extra they, game, but still. Right.
1: But they were significantly better. And I think it's going to continue. And, it, it, you know, I think that's something that helped Jackson um Jameson Williams thrive at Alabama last year was the preparation he got, Beforehand, so I I think Ohio State is at the point now where you know that's all great, but that's a whole different thing than being a coordinator, where you're the guy completely in charge of the offense because he's not going to be completely in charge of the offense at Ohio State. Ryan Day's still going to be there. Yep. So um to me, I just I think that that's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm at. Ryan is I just I, I he would not be at the top of my list to be honest with you. I, I I want a guy that's done it before. A guy doesn't have to be 50 years old, but I want a guy that's done it before. And here's why. What I believed before Tommy Reese left is what I believe now. You got to just stop looking at the chat because it's just gonna make you mad.
2: It's it's the um, Wake force offensive coordinator thing. Man. Yeah, like it's just always gets me.
1: Here's the deal. What I believed about Tommy and this offense next year stays the same. I believe that the pieces are in place for this Notre Dame team to make a run if some things can go their way. I wholeheartedly believe that. I don't want an, a coordinator coming here learning on the job. I don't. Yeah, I want a guy that can come in here and has a, some level of a proven track record to say you feel like this guy can get this thing going quickly, because I don't want to waste this window. You you're, you can't guarantee me you're going to be able to do that. Notre Dame wasted a window from 15 to 17 because of the foundation that was laid under Brian Gorder. They yeah. wasted a chance to compete for a championship in 2015 because they wasted that. They wasted the, the defensive coordinator and the strength program were both terrible, right? And so for me, Ryan, I don't want to waste this window because I don't know if you're going to get another one. You can't guarantee me you're going to get another window like this. And so I want to bring in a guy that I know can call, can design and call an offense and teach kids how to play football. Yep. Could Brian Hartline in four years be a better offensive coordinator than Andy Ludwig, for example, a name we mentioned? Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. But I don't know that he'll be that next year, and I would bet against him being that next year. It's fair. And that's not even getting into the fact that why would he leave Ohio State, his alma mater, to come back to Notre Dame for the same job?
0: You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
2: And and can I say this? I I don't know if, like, I, I, I saw this report, Brian, that so Hartline's getting the opportunity to kind of prove himself as a play caller like this offseason and then it's like an evaluation to see if he's going to call the offense in the in the fall. Did you hear that? I was like that's weird, man. Like that I just find it weird that that's the situation when he's been on the staff. Like Ryan Day knows him obviously very well. I just thought that was kind of a weird dynamic. So I mean, yeah, I'd rather have a proven guy cuz I still think there's other guys out there that you could just look at and say like you know, there's upside to him that's untapped and more of a known commodity for sure. Absolutely. Let's get to this next one, Ryan.
1: I'll answer this one really quickly. Did uh, from MGO Irish, did the Irish have any sincere interest in 2024 running back Jordan Marshall of Archbishop Moeller? Notre Dame was not in his top four. He dropped yesterday. No, they were never really interested in him. There was a level of interest early on, Ryan. He was at the camp this summer and they've offered two backs from Irish Invasion. He's not one of them. And he was solid there, but Aeneas Williams moved at a different level than Jordan Williams. Uh, Darian Dupree moved at a little different level than, than Jordan Marshall, I should say. So he's a good back. I, there's no, he's a four-star back for me. He's a good player. I just feel like there was better players on the board for their name in this class, and that's why they, they just never really made a move on him. And they'd have had a shot with him, right, if, if they'd have taken him, but, but they, that, yeah, they didn't really make that move. Here, I'm, I'm just going to read this, Ryan, and I want to get your reaction. Can you, Christopher Crosby, can you think of a stranger combination of coaches than Luke Fickle and Phil Longo? I
2: don't see how that works. It seems odd to me. One, two, three. Go. I, I mean, I don't even think it's, I don't even think it's really like Luke Fickle and Phil Longo as much as it is the air raid in Wisconsin, right? Like that's, that's the weird part. I mean. I could see. I honestly could see Luke Fickle with an air raid coach. Like, I don't think that that's like the weird part. Where I'm just like, that is stupid. That doesn't make any sense, right? But it's the fact that you're going to Wisconsin, that has traditionally, for as long as I can remember, and as long as most people probably can remember, has been a power running team, right? Like they are running downhill and they are running right at you, and then all of a sudden you're going to bring in an air raid offense to take you to the next step like i just think it's very odd it's very odd so in that regard yeah i guess it's a very weird pairing because i mean just that the fact that luke fickle is now the coach of wisconsin and you would just consider like hey he's going to continue doing what wisconsin has traditionally done as a, as a offensive football team now you throw in that phil Longo is his head co- his offensive coordinator that's the weirdest thing man wisconsin with an air raid it's just wildly weird wildly weird
1: yeah yeah, it really is. I just, um, yeah, I don't get it. And I think you nailed it, Ryan. The long go to to him theory is nice. Look, there's a lot of people joining the show right now because of the Tommy Reese thing. We'll address that here in a minute. This is more of a mailbag show. We are going to get into that here in a few. But Ryan, you and I are also going to do a show tonight at eight o'clock, uh, where we will talk. We'll go. Well, so here's what we'll do tonight. We're going to go into more detail about the whole Reese thing, kind of the backstory, and then we'll dive into. Some of the candidates that we like, we'll dive into some of those guys, and we'll try to gather some intel between now and then as well. Um, so, yeah, there'll we'll, they'll, they'll be there'll be a lot more a lot more to that. Is Dan from Gavin Hard? Is Dan Mullen a call you would make? Not for me, no. no. No, personality wise, and honestly, if here's one of the advantages of a guy like Andy Lugwood. He's a lifer assistant. Yeah, he he's fifty eight. He's not going to get a head coaching job, right? That's just not kind of, to me, where he is. He's an assistant coach. Dan right. Mullen's going to come to Notre Dame if that were to happen. And the first chance he gets to leave to be a head coach, he's going to take. And so that's fine. But how invested is he going to be in recruiting? Because yeah. a guy like that, here's why. A guy like that knows, if I bust my tail to recruit here, that means I'm recruiting against myself when I get a job in a year or two. That That's the reality of it. Subconsciously or consciously. And they're just not going to do that uh the troll sniper said uh, sucks that phil longo just signed a contract with wisconsin he would have been perfect i like what phil longo does i think he does a lot of good things at at wisconsin or i mean at north carolina that's not a fit for notre dame for a lot of the same reasons i don't think he's going to be a fit at wisconsin he runs a very passive rushing attack and i just don't think that that system would work incredibly well
2: uh at notre dame and can we please start with Josh Gaddis, please? I really don't want to talk about Josh Gaddis ever again in this chat, folks. <laughs> can,
1: can you just speak on that a little bit? So for me, here's why, right? To me, yeah. I think he's a it was a good position coach and a good recruiter. That was sure. a very overrated coordinator and the Dumpster fire that his offense wasn't Miami this year kind of set it. See at Michigan he had Jim Harbaugh kind of setting the tone. Jim Harbaugh was for that offense what Brian Kelly was for the Notre Dame offenses. Yeah, you may be the OC, but we're going to do it my way, and we're going to have that influence. And Jim Harbaugh's even more involved in the offense than Kelly was in his career at Notre Dame. Yeah, so that was still Jim Harbaugh's offense, which is why this year's offense looked
2: exactly the same as last year's offense. Hundred percent. That's what it is for yep. me with guys. Yep. So I I mean, that's it. I I just I don't have proof that he's a great offensive coordinator. I just don't have any proof on it. And I mean, the fact that he was fired after one year at Miami, I think is very telling for a lot of different reasons, right? Like, it's not just the fact that he isn't good. It's also the fact of like, there's got to be some cause for why that ended so abruptly, right? In a transitional year. So we'll leave it at that.
1: Uh, We're going to work through some super chats here. And then we're going to get out of here because again, tonight at eight o'clock, We are going to go live again and we're going to break this all down. So we're going to kind of skip over a lot of the questions about coaches that we would look at because we're going to discuss a lot of that tonight. So we'll answer your questions about guys that you like as well. Uh, So I want to because there's some really good questions we're going to we're going to miss here, guys, but I I really guys and gals. But I really want to get to the super chat so we can get going and start because I want to honestly, I need to get on the phone and start like doing some diving into kind of what's next and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Charlie Weiss, last belt loop said, "Speaking of violence in sports, that's why I love Drake Bowen. That kid brings violence when he hits someone. Imagine Drake and Snead hanging a kid. Wow, I agree with you <laughs> yes. completely. Yes, I'm gonna see. You, I'm gonna add some to that though. Part of the reason I love Jaden Osbury is because he's that way as well, but he's not as big and strong as Drake is now. Right. When Jaden Osbury gets into a college weight room, I think that kid's gonna be an m- absolute monster." physically because he 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 brings a lot of violence now in a 205 pound frame when he gets up to 225 and that's why i compare him to john vilma i don't see Jaden Osbury. i hope he's never like a 235 240 guy that's going to be too bad no, if he can get that like maybe. 225 tops yeah. out at 230 he's going to come with some force and i'm telling you that kid th- those two kids a year after getting ziggler and 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 Jalen Sneed, boy, the linebacker position is in a, a great position. It really is. sure is. is. I'm going to somewhat address this one. Up, look, Tyler Smith, the super chat, start one, bench one, cut one. I'm not cutting any of them. If I could start one and bench one, I mean, look, here's the great thing about this question. I don't have to do any of those things. Those last two <laughs> things, I don't have to bench either one, any of them, or I have to cut any of them. And you know, why would I want to start any of them, and why would I bench them? They're three really talented running backs. I'm going to use all of them. Yes. And, and play all of them so it's a little bit of a cop-out answer tyler i apologize for that but the reality is is i'm not going to tell you who i'd cut and and i don't i'm just glad i don't we don't have to make that decision because you can use all of them and the i'd say the best games learning had this year offensively were games where all three of those guys were making plays. oh
2: no doubt yeah i don't think anybody can argue that either like that's a. Mm-hmm. I mean the proof's in the pudding in that one exactly Exactly.
1: Got a super chat here from uh, Not Ryan's Bully, aka Tommy Guns. I dislike all Tommies right now. Good luck to him, I guess, except for you, Tommy. We don't dislike you. I, don't dislike I you.
2: hate all Tommies. Just kidding. Hey, hey, kidding. I was be kidding. nice. I was uh, John
1: A1 says, Is Mike Denbrock a guy Coach Freeman should call? I'll say, I love Mike Denbrock. He's one of my yeah. favorite people in the business, and he's done a. he's a good offensive coordinator. But I don't think it fits because of the way the current staff is made up because he's not a quarterbacks coach. He he's a receivers tight ends or tight ends tackles coach. And he's not a guy that I, I'd have coaching quarterbacks. And right now with the way the staff is made up, the biggest priority for me, if I'm Marcus Freeman is the Dylan McCullough, Harry, he Chancey Stuckey, Jared Parker. I want to keep as many of those guys in place as possible. Harry, he stand being at the top of that list. Right. And so, I want to bring in a coordinator that can work with the guys that I have because I've got a great offensive assistant coaching staff. If I can give me a really good offensive coordinator to work with those guys, it's going to be phenomenal. So as much as I love Mike Dembrock as a person, as good of a coach as I think that he is, I don't think the fit is right. That's why you know when we talk tonight, we won't be talking about Alex Atkins from Florida State because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit player-wise you know, or staff-wise. Doesn't make a lot of sense there, even though we like some of the stuff that he does. There's other guys that we could talk about. Uh, JB, JB uh, Jeff Grimes is a guy that a lot of people want to talk about. Doesn't make sense. He's an offensive line guy, so it doesn't make sense to bring him as an offensive coordinator. I think he's a little bit overrated as an offensive coordinator. I mean, they've had some good offenses at Baylor, but he hasn't shown me they can be an elite offensive coordinator. Um, so I guess not overrated, but just not as not worth some of the hype that people have about him. But even if he was Ryan, it doesn't fit because then you got to get rid right. of here. Here he, he, he stands. And give me Harry stand and whoever else you want as offensive coordinator over Jeff Grimes' coaching offensive line and whoever you're going to hire to be your quarterback's coach. I just, I'll just i take the That's Harry stand combination every day of the week. That's true. Uh, Mark 1, Brian, do you have your resume ready? So the only person that I care about employing me is myself, and I don't need to give myself a resume. I love what I do, and there's no way that Notre Dame would consider my resume anyway, nor should they, uh, because I have not coached in forever. And I have always said I would never – give my resume to Notre name while I'm doing a job like this because it would create so many problems. So then if you all knew that I applied for a job, let's say I applied for an analyst position, hypothetically, and I didn't get it. Every time I criticized the coaching staff on offense or Marcus Freeman, it would be like, man, you're just saying that because he didn't hire you. And so it would just be such a bad idea and a bad look so um, the only time I ever sent a resume to Notre Dame was when I was in coaching and I sent one for like a GA position that I knew I wasn't going to hear back from. So yeah, that's not one that I would ever do. And I like what I do here. I don't know why Mark's trying to get rid of me. Ryan kind of makes me sad. Mark's trying to get rid of me. I'm just kidding. Tyler Reese says, "Uh, feel like we can't catch a break. Definitely a big loss for us. Freeman has all, has a tall task in front of him. Uh, Thank you for the super Tyler. It's a loss, but I don't think it's a big loss. And I think it's a loss that you can overcome. There's a lot of good candidates. I mean, Ryan and I had this talk last night. Like, there's some guys on there. I'm like, boy, if they brought this guy in, I'd be pretty fired up. Gee, I wish they could make this guy work. Because there's some good guys out there. And the the pieces are in place for this thing to really get rocking and rolling, in my opinion, Ryan. I, I really I do believe that. I really do believe that. Let manager one. Uh, I got to admit, I do love the idea of Tommy running up the score on LSU this year. How phenomenal that? would that be?
2: <laughs> like, I know
1: one game I'm rooting for Tommy Reese like crazy, man. Uh.
2: I would, uh, I, would lo- I would love to see the post game between him and Brian Kelly. That'd be fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um,
1: all right. Adam Shipley with a super chat. Thank you, Adam. What does Reese leaving do for, to your projections for the record and development? Uh, it is affected by them having to install a new offense. Adam, honestly, I have to see who they hire first. Like yep. that's a very fair question. Very fair question. But I can't honestly answer it until I see who they have. You know, because there could be a scenario where, like, boy, that's a pretty smooth transition, and others where I'm like, you hired the dude from Western Kentucky who's at Oregon now, I think, right? Or I forget where he is. I think he's at Oregon now. Or, no, Will Stein's at Oregon. Yeah, but I good. forget where the Western Kentucky guy's at now. But I'm like, dude, that guy's an air raid. That's a completely different offense than what you're doing now. Yeah. And so I just don't think that would make it as, as, as much sense. Um, I'm going to bring this up because it's a super chat, Ryan, from Blake Kajar. Would you uh, go after Ryan Grubb and Josh Gaddis? We've already addressed Gaddis. Uh, what's the other Bro. one?
2: Ryan, Ryan Grubb just turned down Alabama. So I don't, I just don't know if he's on the market, right? Like, I mean, I would think about it, but I just don't know if he's a guy that would have any interest of leaving. Like, if he didn't want to leave for Alabama, I'm not so sure he wants to leave, in my opinion, at this time. I'd make a call. Sure. Because I love Caitlin DeBoer's offense. And I think you could
1: transition to it well at Notre Dame. But, it, it, yeah, you're right. I mean, you make the call just to see if there's yeah. – because maybe he just doesn't want to go to the southeast. Maybe he doesn't want to work with Saban. Maybe he doesn't want to go to Bama, but he'd open be open for a better opportunity somewhere else. Maybe that's it. So you at least make the call, right? Uh, yeah. But I think um, I, I think that's kind of where I would be. Jay Clampett Investment. So now that it's official, who is on your short list? I'm really intrigued by the dude in Utah. So that's Andy Ludwig. We're definitely going to talk a lot more about Andy Ludwig, Jay Clampett. We're going to do a show tonight at 8 p.m. When we're going to kind of talk about everything and then d- dive into sort of what is our list tonight. That'll be at 8 o'clock tonight. So definitely want to tune back in for that one, and we'll we'll have a lot to say about that. Mark once is just in. Saban got Tommy on his boat, seeing if he knows how to water ski. <laughs> well played. Mike Farino with a Super Chat. Thank you, Mike. To clarify, with Heartline calling plays in the spring, essentially unless it goes horribly, he is expected to call to call plays next year. They're just hedging. That's fine, Mike. But my point is, he's not going to be the only guy in the room on offense. That's kind of where I'm coming from, right? Where he calls plays or not? I'm not. I never say anything about he's not going to call plays. I didn't say that. What I said is he's not the guy driving the offense. My, Brian Hartland doesn't come in there and say, hey, "Hey, Ryan, I'm going to run this offense next year." It's different from what you ran, but I'm going to. No, he can't do that. He's running the offense that Ryan Day is saying. Here's my offense. Go run it. I mean, right. he's going to put some wrinkles on it as every coordinator does, but he's running Ryan Day's offense. And if Ryan Day doesn't like it, he's going to tweak it. And trust me, Ryan Day is going to have plenty of opinions about the offense. He just, that's just,
2: it's, and he should. I mean, why shouldn't he? So he, uh, he was, he was talking about my comment because I, I, I just think that it's a little telling that he's not getting like the full reign right now. Like it's a sure. test period. I think that that's a little like fishy in my opinion. So I you. Gotcha. But, but I yeah. think
1: part of that's because, in my opinion, if I'm Ryan Day, I'd rather do it that way and then you prove to me you can handle it. And then I hand it over to you as opposed to me giving you full rain spring doesn't go well. And then I've got to then come in and, you know, you know what I mean? Right. So like, to me, it's that it's let's start here. And then if you, if you are what I think you are, then I can back off further. And then that the perception is, wow, he did so well that Ryan day is completely handing off. Or if the opposite happens, you're like, I need to be a little bit more involved than I thought I was going to be. Then that gives the perception that Brian Hartline's not ready or not capable. So I get where Mike's coming from. Um, and and it is a little fishy. It tells me that he's not sure if he's ready or not yet because he's not sure if he's ready to be a full-time guy, which is my whole point. At Ohio State, you can get away with that because you've got a great resource in your head coach. Marcus Freeman is on record as saying, I'm not an offensive guy. So you right. don't have that same resource that you have at Ohio State. It's a different – the defensive coordinator will have that resource at Notre Dame, but the offensive coordinator doesn't. And that's the point, and that's why Brian Hartline would not be a guy I would would bring in. It makes a lot more sense at Ohio State than it does yeah. in Notre Dame, in my opinion, and that's where I'm coming from. Connor yeah. Grant said, "Would you prefer a better X's and O's guy or an amazing recruiter if you had to choose? I will. All, if I if I can only have one of those two things, give me the amazing X's and O's guy as the coordinator. Position coach is different, Ryan. Yeah. As a coordinator, because if the X's and O's are amazing, you know, then my offense is going to speak for itself." <laughs> And that's going to help with the and then I can go hire. We can hire assistant coaches that are great recruiters. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I I'd rather I would, I would rather,
2: especially that. with where your staff is right now from a yeah. recruiting perspective on the offensive exactly. side of the football. I agree. Exactly. Mark one says it was a compliment,
1: Brian, on the resume. I know, buddy. I'm just giving you a hard time, but I I have actually gotten that question seriously from other people, and I just want to explain to people why I would never I would never do that. Number one, if I was Marcus Freeman, I wouldn't hire me right? Because of the fact that I haven't coached in almost a decade, but number two, uh, it would create a ton of conflicts of interest in my opinion. I, but I, I have had some people that have asked that, Mark, I knew you were just, just kind of being fun and giving me a compliment. And I do trick greatly, greatly appreciate that. I believe this is the last super chat that we have, Ryan. Uh, and this is from Beefeater. It says, how much of last year's bad offensive plays were due to Tommy's play calling versus poor execution of pine checking out of the play called well pine rarely checked out of the plays last year right um, I, look i think a lot of it a lot of last year's success as we have said was down to poor execution i mean we've said this all along you had guys even in bad games where i didn't like tommy's game plan there were still guys coming open that the quarterback wasn't throwing the ball to that would have resulted in and because it, it wasn't just drew pine because it was tyler buckner against marshall whether it's buckner against marshall and then drew pine against stanford the quarterbacks weren't getting the ball up to open guys, right? If Tyler Buckner hits Braden Lindsay on a wide open post route at the end of the second quarter, Notre Dame wins. If Tyler Buckner reads the corner correctly on a third down play that led to, I think a field goal uh, against Marshall and Notre Dame wins. They're up 15, two, you remember 15, 12. Remember the play I'm talking about? It was like a third down play. The corner squats, Braden converts it to a go route. There's no help over the top. If Tyler reads that correctly, it's one of the easiest touchdown passes they will ever throw. And it's now all of a sudden 22 to 12 and it's ball game. Right, I okay. You can maybe say the coach didn't do a good enough job teaching Tyler that conversion, but you can't tell me that it was a a bad play call, right? right. And so th- he's the offensive coordinator and the the quarterbacks coach. So it's up to him to teach those guys how to do that. So there's some of that. But as we said before, even in some of the bad games, there's guys running wide open that the quarterback won't throw the ball to. So it was part. It was mostly about to me. If if you want to criticize Tommy Reese. Play calling isn't really the area I would go with. Now I was, you know, use more run games. We've had some of those criticisms, but the play calling was good enough for you to win every game you played this year in the regular season. The execution wasn't there. That's also part of the coordinator's job. That's where he had to get better. Was getting certain parts of the offense to co- to execute better. The right. play calling by itself, just outside of all the other aspects that go into the success of the play calling, he was call- He was designing plays to get guys open all every game. Ohio state, Marshall, Stanford, USC, all of them. So, but that's only one part of a, of being a great coordinator. And that's what we've always said. That part, I've never had a problem with Tommy. It's some of the other stubbornness things that we had a little bit of a, more of an issue with. Yep. Last one from Adam Shipley. Thank you, Adam. Looking forward to 8 PM. Me too. <laughs> it's going to be a, a busy couple hours. I got to go make spaghetti sauce tonight too, Ryan. I promised my wife that we would, I would make spaghetti tonight. So I got to go make some spaghetti sauce here in a little bit and uh, get rocking and rolling. But I do want to thank everybody for being with us today. Very lively chat today. A lot of great questions. I wish we could have got to more, but if y'all want me to have more intel tonight, when we do it at eight o'clock, I need to get off there now and, and go start making some phone calls. So, um, Anyway, that's going to be it, everybody. I want to thank you all so much for being on with us today. Have a great rest of your day. Hey, Five o'clock, we're going to have the rapid fire with Vince and Sean. They're going to talk about, obviously, a little bit about this restuff. stuff. And then at eight o'clock, Ryan and I will be live, eight o'clock Eastern. Ryan and I will go live again to talk about uh, just you know this this move and kind of where Notre Dame goes from here and then kind of what's next for Notre Dame. And then we'll uh, we'll go from there. So have a great day, everybody. We'll get we'll get here with you all here very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast you